Welcome to CYC Podcast, discussions on child and youth care. I'm Wolfgang Vashon. Today, I am super excited to talk about a recently published special issue of the International Journal of Child, Youth and Family Studies out of the University of Victoria. The journal is open access, by the way, which means that it does not cost anything to access any of the articles. And there are years and years of articles worth checking out. So I encourage you to check it out. And we'll talk more about how to do that at the end of the episode. Or you can just search International Journal of Youth and Child, Youth and Family Studies. One of the reasons I'm excited about this special issue is that it is the first special issue in child and youth care of, of any child and youth care journal dedicated specifically and wholly to the theme of queering child and youth care, which is a little surprising. I found it quite surprising that there wasn't anything else, but, but there we go. Uh, it is true. The other reason I'm excited about this issue is we have two of the editors, co-authors with me, and I'm going to be talking to some of the other authors in the, in the coming months about this special issue. And I think it really presents the opportunity to open up some really wonderful conversations and important and, and missing conversations in child and youth care. With me today to start this little series are two of the four co-editors. So Audrey Wolf and Matty Walker are joining me today. And the two other editors are Dr. Sibylla Arts and myself. So welcome, Audrey and Maddie, And thank you both so much for joining me today. If we could just start with each of you introducing yourself, and perhaps we can go alphabetical, start with Audrey. Hi, everyone. Thank you. So my name is Audrey Wolf. I am a queer and trans woman who is a student at University of Victoria in my Master's of Arts in CYC. A bit about me is that I've been working in the field for over 15 years. There was a while where I was working in the field and I ducked out and then I came back again. So pretty consistently since 2004. And I was definitely always queer when I was working in the field, transitioned while I was in the field, while working with a group of queer and trans youth, which was a really magical experience because not only was I a role model as a trans person, but I was a role model as a trans person who socially and medically transitioned. I currently live in Vancouver, BC, the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, and I'm just happily finishing off my thesis and excited to become a registered clinical counselor, and I also work at the library. Nice. I love librarians. I have such a, <laughs> such a warm place in my, my heart and in my mind for librarians. And Maddie, could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, thanks, Wolfgang. My name is Maddie Walker. Uh, I'm calling in from the Lekwungen territories on the lands of the Songhees and Esquimalt nations, also known as Victoria, BC. I'm a graduate of the School of Child and Youth Care at UVic and then also currently working on my PhD in the Social Dimensions of Health program at UVic. I currently work as a clinical counselor, working with youth and adults who have experienced violence and trauma. And I've worked in CYC practitioner roles in a variety of different settings over the last 10 years, including residential care for 
children with complex trauma, uh, child and youth advocacy, and victim services. And I'm also a sessional instructor in the School of Child and Youth Care right now. I'm really excited for this conversation and happy to be here with both of you. Thank you. Yes, I'm excited to, to have both of you here and for, for having this conversation. And you're both doing so much. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know how we ever managed to get this, <laughs> all the other commitments that we have, but we did. So maybe we can start there. Could, could one of you share how this special issue came about? And maybe as part of that, why you think it's necessary to do an issue on this topic on queering CYC? I think this the conversation for the special issue came about for me with a, a conversation with Dr. Sabella Arts, who has worked with each of you, and also coming from your Queering CYC article, Wolfgang, where kind of identifying that this isn't really a topic that's talked about in CYC and it needs to be. Um, and so we, you know, were brought together to kind of think together about what that might look like to actually make some space for queer and trans topics in the CYC publication. Well, and I'll talk about this later, but there's definitely some gaps in uh, the, <laughs> the literature that we have so far. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where yeah. I see it coming out of, but yeah, maybe Audrey can speak to that as well. Yeah. And I wonder, Audrey, why you, you think there's a need for a special issue? For sure. So I think it's really important for us to have a special issue on this topic because of the fact that there are so many gaps in child and youth care when it comes to queer and trans experiences, as Maddie's going to talk about later in the podcast with their article. But I remember as a person who was in the Bachelor of Child and Youth Care at UVic, really trying to find articles that represented both myself and the children and youth that I worked with. And there was nothing. And it was often this juggling act of trying to find articles that kind of fit into our experiences, but often it was articles that were written from a very cisnormative experience. And it was really frustrating. Having a special issue gives students a spot where they're like, okay, this is the place that I can actually find the information that I'm looking for. And hopefully the special issue will encourage not only the journal that we're in, that the special issue is situated in the International Journal of Child, Youth and Family Studies to publish more pieces about queer and trans lives, but maybe also some of the other journals that um, we often find child and youth care research in. Absolutely. I invite you, Maddie, to, to talk about your, your piece um, that, that you wrote in the special issue, because one of the things that you did is you trace the presence of writing about two-spirit, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, intersex topics in CYC. And I was amazed when I read your piece about your findings. So maybe we could we could talk a little bit about, about what you did find, because I think it speaks quite profoundly to the need for this special issue. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this idea for an article came out of like what we're already talking about at the beginning of this conversation of 
just noticing a huge like lack of articles and writing about queer and trans lives in CYC and being frustrated myself as a student and practitioner with where are the stories and research about queer and trans experiences. And so I I conducted a systematic literature review of articles published over a 10 year span from 2010 to, to early 2020 when I started writing this um, in six journals that focus on CYC practice, research and theory. And I selected these journals because they're either specifically for the CYC field or, or related and often cited in uh, CYC classes. And what I found was that like over these six journals over 10 years with a total of over 4,000 published articles across all of these different journals that there was actually only 36 articles that focused on queer and LGBTQ topics. And out of those 36, there's only eight that specifically focused on gender diversity or trans topics. So when I was you know, like expecting to not see a lot of content, this was like shockingly little content. Um, and there were no articles that I found that specifically focused on two-spirit or non-binary identities and experiences. So just like this huge gap in what's being published and just a, a complete lack of, of attention to certain experience, experiences and perspectives. Do you attribute those findings to like if you have a conversation with you know child and youth care practitioners i mean it it's not that there's a, a lack of awareness around two-spirit queer trans issues do you have any thoughts on on why there has been so little writing i don't know if i totally have an answer to that mm. question but i think cyc does position itself as a field about that is about creating spaces and embracing diversity and complexity, but I don't know if that's always present for a lot of diverse experiences in CYC. I think CYC still is a fairly normative field that really positions itself along some dominant normative beliefs. And although there's like some pushback and challenge to that in terms of theory and practice. I think it's still, um, you know, kind of the, the, the primary way that CYC work is like theorized and practiced is still very normative. And so I think that's what we're seeing is like this disparity and like, you know, talking about embracing diversity and then actually what does that look like in the field? It's like, we're not practicing that very well. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Audrey, you wrote a lovely piece that I found quite, quite striking, and then you decided to withdraw it. And, and I wonder if you could tell us what that, that piece was about. For sure. So I wrote an article about many of the discourses that were coming up about trans youth, specifically young trans boys, that were really rooted and situated in gender critical theories and how can we say like gender critical Twitter and Reddit. There was a new phenomenon and I'm so air quoting phenomenon while I say that called rapid onset gender dysphoria that was created by a researcher who researched the experiences of parents of 
young trans boys. And so it was parents who were providing their insights about their young trans kids. And not only was the research about rapid onset gender dysphoria advertised in very right-wing, very gender critical and very trans hating websites and forums. But the methodology was so flawed. It was just very targeted towards a certain audience. And that was an audience that really despised trans people. So you would think that with the idea of a really badly research topic would just kind of float away and we wouldn't hear from it again. But the phenomenon is actually about this phenomenon of rapid outside gender dysphoria. So it was really shocking that, that this research, this really badly done, ill-intended research has been showing up in so many gender critical spaces and has been used as a way to discourage parents from believing that their children might be transitioning. So um, it really encouraged and upheld these beliefs that for trans boys that this was a phase, that transitioning was a phase, that the queer boys were being influenced by, and in big scare quotes, like YouTube and Tumblr, and that they weren't really trans, that these were young girls that were being taken advantage of by by trans rights activists, quote unquote. And it's really frightening because this research came out over five years ago, but this idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria shows up like in so many places. We had a couple of years ago, just down the street from where I live, um, there was a speak um, by many different (laughs) gender critical celebrities, Twitter celebrities, And their focus was on spreading this ideology of rapid onset gender dysphoria to a new audience that really consisted of a lot of parents that were like very anxious and very nervous about their children um, medically transitioning. And yeah, I think that rapid onset gender dysphoria as a theory, like it's so important that we debunk it But then I was wondering, is this my role to debunk it here in the journal? And and is that why you withdrew the place? Because you weren't sure if that was the role or were there other reasons you withdrew the piece? I withdrew the pieces for for two reasons. I was worried about my role, specifically my role as someone who is a new researcher, who is new to academia, And I was worried about the controversy that could come towards the journal because a lot of gender critical people out there, they really like to discount any of the research that goes against them. So, but that was a very minor part of the reasons that I decided to withdraw 
the piece. One of the main reasons was because a lot of gender critical folk have, they really like to dox the people who speak against them. And it's interesting because since I withdrew, decided not to publish this article, I've noticed that the doxing that has been happening to trans people who speak against gender critical um, feminists has just like really increased and become much more dramatic and much more personal. And yeah, it's a scary time out there. I was sharing with the co-editors about how when I first started at UVic in my master's program, I moved um, to the island from my longtime home. And in the first weekend that I was on the island, even before I set foot in my first class, gender critical feminists that were on campus started to dox me. So um, that first month that I was there in childhood youth care, there was a hardcore doxing attempt um, to try to erase my voices and my existence on campus. And that was one of the reasons I ended up moving back to the mainland because it was really stressful spending nine months in a faculty where I actually felt like very welcomed and very supportive, but just living in an area that I knew that I wasn't completely welcome. I was really worried that um, if I published this piece and the doxing would really increase and would really continue. And I think that that was the right decision just based on the ways that this doxing of other trans folk has really manifested in the media and especially in Twitter recently. I think it's absolutely the right choice that, that you made and so disheartening to hear your, your experiences <laughs> and and the reality of this situation. So yeah, thank you for, for, for sharing that. You know, I think it's a really, really important conversation. Um, and for all of us to maybe go out and do some more research on our own around this I, idea, because it does have this, this, this idea of, you know, rapid gender dysphoria, rapid onset gender dysphoria, you know, it, it carries this tone of legitimacy by, you know, these compound phrases right like it, it has this sense of of validity and, and so I think you know one of the things I really appreciate with the piece that you wrote was really you know naming in our naming and 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 making the compelling argument as to how this research is dubious and based upon false assumptions and you know who was being interviewed and you know, where the material was coming from and all those things. And I think you made a really compelling argument. So I encourage people to, uh, to search out some, some of that and do, and do their, do their own research. Cause I think it, it is something that we face as child new care practitioners who work with young people and, and families. So, yeah, thank you for that. And I just wanted to mention that there are some really amazing articles about that, about rapid onset gender dysphoria, and that completely and successfully combat the methodology and the research that was happening. So while they're not situated in within CYC, there are some amazing articles out there that are definitely doing the work for us. Cool. Thank you, Audrey. So the, the, the special issue has, has eight different pieces in it. 
and we're not going to have a chance to go over all the pieces. And, and I will be talking to some other people over the, the months, both people who contributed to the special issue, as well as some, some folks who are doing related work, but, but didn't contribute to the issue. And I'm wondering if, if each of you could just chat a little bit about, about one of the other pieces that uh, resonated for you or, or struck you for a particular reason. And, and perhaps we could start with you, Maddie. In thinking about what article to highlight out of the special issue of Casper Gamar's piece, A Reflection on Queer, Crip, Child and Youth Care Practice, really stood out to me. And I wanted to talk about this piece because I feel like the author really demonstrates how queer topics and perspectives intersect with like many other ways that CYC practice can be challenged. Um, the author takes up a, a queer crip lens um, and reflects on his own queer crip youth care praxis. And I think it, it just really beautifully highlights how CYC practice can and is being queered and taken up differently by CYC practitioners that are working in the field right now. It's also just a beautiful and poetic piece. And I think even in the way that it's written, it shows how, you know, CYC writing can be queered as well. Not just the topic, but the style and how it's presented. And I think, you know, one of the key moments in this piece is when the author is talking about teaching from his bed and how like really just takes up this idea of like, how can we do practice and teaching differently in a way that makes space for different ways of navigating and being in the world. I, I think it just really stands out for me in that way. And I know we've had conversations like leading up to this about how this piece really stands out for a few mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's such a beautiful piece as, as well. And that, that image of Casper teaching from his bed, inviting students into his bedroom as he teaches is it, it, it was just a profound moment for me and I and I encourage everyone to I encourage everyone to read all the pieces of course <laughs> but you know I think in child and youth care we don't have a great track record of talking about queer topics and we do not have a great track record of talking about disability and there's you know there's been a variety of controversies around disability and how we take up disability discourse and think that some of that is is hard to open up and I think Casper does a does such a lovely job of of bringing those different elements together you know and, and talking about the writing that that Casper does there were several pieces that I think challenge how we understand writing and I think August A does a, a lovely piece called Queer Revisions of Archive Affect and Place in Child and Youth Care and again a very poetic, using an autoethnographic stance, taking a photograph and, and building this entire piece around, around a photograph. And again, it, it, it challenges what we understand as academic writing. And I think that that, that happened several, several times in the, in the issue, moving queer visibilities into identity sustaining practices in CYC towards a queer futures by Longoria, a Longoria they also write in quite a poetic way. And, and one of the things that's really intriguing is uh, Longoria and, and um, Gamar 
write about the same program, but from very, very different perspectives. And so that's a really, it's a neat, um, neat discussion. Um, and I wonder, I wonder, Audrey, um, if th there was uh, any pieces that that spoke to you for whatever reason. Nancy Marshall's piece, uh, Queering CYC Praxis, <laughs> what I learned from LGBTQI plus newcomer, refugee and immigrant student experiences in Canada really spoke to me on two levels. First of all, I feel that um, the experiences of LGBTQI plus newcomer, refugee and immigrant students, um, their experiences are so vast with them, um, academia and the ways that they are in our classrooms, the way that they're on our campuses, the ways that that newcomer students and refugee students are everywhere in CYC, but not quite in the journals and the research that we have. So I felt that Marshall's conversations with these two students that she interviews, not trying to spoil too much for people who have not read the piece yet, but Marshall's conversations with these two students are just, just so enriched with the types of experiences and stories that we do not often find in the journals, but we find in the classrooms itself. And I really, it felt that I was transported back to when I was a first year student in child and youth care and the types of conversations that I was able to have with my peers. And I felt that it was so beautiful. There's so much learning there. And I feel that the readers of the journal and this article will really be able to benefit from this. Second of all, I felt that Marshall, as someone who is cisgender, as someone who is white, as someone who is straight, she is very representative of many of the people who are going to end up reading our journal. So the study was an exploratory autonethnographic research. And I feel that this is really powerful. It's really showing how someone who is not part of queer and trans community, who is not part of queer and trans discourse, um, how she's experiencing her learning and how she's able to continue to open her mind as someone who's not part of that community. And I feel that so many of the, of the people who will be reading our journal, who will be engaging in our journal, are going to be coming from a place that Marshall's coming from. I know that we speak so much about the students that are queer and trans in our different programs about um, different queer and trans academics, but still we are a small percentage of academia. And I feel that Marshall's article was a great way to end the journal because it's, it's really a way to model the ways that people who are cis, people who are white, people who are straight will be able to follow Marshall in her journey on how to start really centering the voices of queer and trans people and specifically queer and trans and newcomer, refugee and immigrants. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for that, Audrey. I, you know, one of the things about, about Marshall's piece that 
grabbed me was the format that she used, right? This experimental autoethnography. And, and as I was reading it, I thought this is such a valuable model for students who, who sometimes question, well, how do I do like, you know, you know, how do I do a reflexive thing, you know, in academia? What does that look like? What does that mean? And I think that this is such a great template for, I wouldn't, I shouldn't say template, a great piece to read, to consider how can we, you know, blend the reflexive and the academic in a piece that can go through a peer review and hold itself up. You know, there, there's other, there other great, great pieces. You know, Maddie, earlier when you were talking, you talked about there being no articles that you found in your research, uh, specifically focus on uh, Two-Spirit or Indigiqueer um, folks. And um, uh, there's a, a co-authored, five, five authors uh, wrote, a, a again, a really the, the first piece that I'm aware of to look explicitly at um, uh, two-spirit LGBTQ indigiqueer trans youth called Radical Care and Decolonial Futures, Conversations, Identity, Health, and Spirituality with Indigenous, Queer, Trans, and Two-Spirit Youth. And it's really, it's a qualitative research study, so it comes out of this really grounded place, and, and it's coming from youth who identify as part of that community and youth who have a, a, a strong activist critique. I really enjoyed the piece. And it also opened up a whole body of, of literature from indigiqueer authors and poets that I was not familiar with. So that, that was a great piece. And another one that I, I just want to flag as well is Toward Queer Potentialities in Child and Youth Care by Zaman and Anderson Nath. Uh, looking at developmental theory. And, and again, you know, CYC has a long, 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 long history of talking about developmental theory. We, you know, we talk about being a, a we have a developmental approach. Um, we talk about growth all the time. And that really frames so much of how we understand our work. Zaman and Anderson Nath really do a important job bringing a queer analysis to to call into question many of the underlying principles of of what is normal what is abnormal that run through what they call the developmental project right that that we use yeah so great pieces and then finally of course there's the uh, editorial that uh, maddie and i co-authored which was a lot of fun to write uh, that maddie and i co-authored uh, sort of introducing the the special issue i think there's lots of gems in there as well. I'm conscious of time and we're hitting our time limit. As I said, we will be talking to some more authors in, in the coming months. But as we wrap up, is there anything else that either of you would like to touch on before we uh, before we say goodbye today? You know, like this has kind of been a theme of the conversation, but I think just a like a final thought is just that this special issue is, I hope, like an indication of like space that we can create in the CYC literature and field for queer and trans perspectives and experiences and research. And that hopefully this this special issue is just the start of a lot more writing and research in our field that center queer and trans experiences and voices. Party mm -hmm. words, Audrey? Yeah, I really hope that people who are out there in academia, if they when they experience the special issue, I hope that they don't think that this is a way of us 
having our seat at the table and that they recognize that this is our way of not only queering that table, but destroying that table <laughs> and really making space. Yeah, let's destroy that table. Let's have a sit down. Let's share some food. Let's all be at the same level. Let's all hang out. Let's share our stories. Let's really disrupt what we think child and youth care is. Absolutely. 100% with you I'll, I'll i'll bring my bring my tools my dismantling tools what if i'll um, bring my hammer <laughs> <laughs> i want to say thank you maddie and and audrey for joining me today thank you also to um, dr sibylla arts she was the the managing editor of this journal this is the final issue of of in her role as managing editor and uh Sibilla, you have been uh, invaluable in this in this process and i and i want to honor and recognize that and i i think it was it's been tremendously enjoyable and learning filled to work with with all three of you maddie audrey and uh, Sibilla. thank you for for both of you for for making this this happened making this happen and uh, for having this conversation with me today yeah thank you so much for having us it's been a pleasure yeah, thank you so much, Wolfgang. You're welcome. And I look forward to our next conversation offline. <laughs> Bye for now.